So how many of you could use a sermon about true rest? All right, that's what we're tackling this morning, true rest, Mark chapter 2. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so you want Mark chapter 2. We continue to watch Jesus move through the Gospels. We continue to see what God is like as we watch Jesus. He is God in human flesh. And we continue to see him tackle uh, big issues of life and heal people and talk about uh, what life is all about. Here he will deal with a Sabbath controversy, which comes up as he reaches out on the Sabbath day and as his disciples are doing something that the Pharisees don't like on the Sabbath day. And uh, this is Mark 2. We're going to start in verse 23. Let's pray one more time. Father, now as we turn to your word, we thank you that it is inspired, living, powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We praise you that it is alive because you are alive. Write your word on our hearts, O Lord, that we might not sin against you. Thank you for the gospel, the good news that we can enter into the rest that's already been provided in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are our Sabbath. We come to you, Lord, in humility right now because we understand who we are compared to who you are. Would you breathe life into us, Lord? Would you pour your Holy Spirit out upon this congregation? Would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church? May we not just be simply a spectator of the word. May we enter into it. May we say, Lord, what would you say to me today? Your servant is listening. Speak. So, Lord, that's our hearts right now together. Your Bible's already alive, so we're just, what we're just going to ask is that we'd be good soil to receive it, and we'd uh, make sure that you receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 2, verse 23. And it came about that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. You might want to mark that word Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Now, the idea of the Sabbath is something that comes up over and over in the scriptures. Way back in Genesis, we saw that God rested on the seventh day. And into the Ten Commandments came the commandment to Israel to set apart the Sabbath as a special and holy day. When you really break down the Sabbath day and you look at what the purpose of it was, the purpose of the Sabbath was to have one day in seven to rest. No work was to be done of any kind on that day. It was to be a day of rest, a day of refreshment, and it was to be a day of worship. It was to be a day to think about God. It was to be a day to slow down and not make it like another Monday or another Wednesday or Thursday. It was a day that you just kind of cranked it down, put things in neutral. You spent time with your family. You spent time with the Lord. You met with his people. So it was a very special time in the life of the nation of Israel to focus on things that really matter. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a, I'm a mover and a shaker. And so sometimes I have to be pulled to slow down a little bit. And, you know, sometimes we quote Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures, amen? Sometimes God gets our attention. We're going too fast. We're not paying much attention to him in life. And he says, hey, it's time for a little Shabbat. It's time for a little Sabbath. It's time for you 
to rest and reflect on what's truly important. I know for most of us, uh, slowing down in this culture that seems to be a rat race is hard. Somebody said, life is like a rat race, and even if you win the race, you're still a rat. So there you go. (laughs) So what we want to do is we want to find a way in life to kind of fly above the norm. We want to find a way to see God's eyes and God's heart. And the Sabbath day was that for Israel. They were supposed to work hard, no doubt. They were supposed to put their hands to the plow and uh, work their fields. But God said, I want you to have a day of rest. The word Sabbath literally means seven. So you guys, if you want to write that down, Sabbath means seven. And in the ancient language that Moses would have written, this would have been on the older manuscripts, there was an ancient, what's called a picture language. And this is the word for Sabbath or the word Shabbat. So uh, you can see it up there on the slide. And basically the combination of the word means to return to the covenant. If you look at the the Hebrew picture there of what looks like a W, that has the idea of repentance. So it means repent or turn around. What's in the middle looks like a house, and that can mean two in the Hebrew language. And you see on the left side, Hebrew goes right to left. On the left side, something that looks like a cross, and that's the tav in the Hebrew language. It's the last letter. And they would write it, and it looks like what? A cross. So the essence of the Sabbath means to return to the covenant or return to the cross. So every time a Jewish person slowed down on Friday at sunset, and that's when the Sabbath starts for the Jewish people, it doesn't start on Saturday morning, it starts at the sunset on Friday, and it goes sunset to Saturday. So what the Jewish people even today do is they will leave work often early on a Friday, they will prepare a meal for Friday night, and the focus slows down so that once the sun sets, they begin to really think about the Lord. And they have Sabbath meals. On Friday night, they spend time in prayer and just, you know, interacting with their family. And then on Shabbat or on the Saturday that follows, the morning that follows, they would have a Shabbat service. And this could last for many hours. And then they would have a meal in the afternoon. And then when the sun set on Saturday night, the Sabbath would be over. And every time, think of the the word Shabbat or Sabbath Seven is mentioned, I think most of you know, seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. So when you think of Sabbath, think of that it is finished. From the cross, John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. In Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews says, there's a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. That whole chapter is dedicated to the rest that's found in Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath. Technically speaking, the Sabbath was given to Israel, not to the church. So uh, if you're a Gentile sitting in here, a non-Jewish person, the Sabbath would not have been binding on you. You would have not known much about the Sabbath. You might have known that Jewish people set that aside, but you may not have known that that's what you were supposed to do or even had anything to do with you. The Sabbath was given as a sign to Israel, perpetual sign. So Jewish people that become Christians still... Practice Shabbat, and that's fine. But hopefully we know what the fulfillment is about. And so that's what it's about. The Sabbath was to be a weekly dress rehearsal to anticipate heaven and the rest that heaven would give us. 
The Sabbath was supposed to anticipate the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, where the wolf would lie down with the lamb, where they would lay aside the instruments of war. They would know war no more. There would be peace in his holy mountain, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, we're told a lavish banquet the Lord will prepare for his people, and we will sit with the Lord. And that which hangs over, the shadow that hangs over all mankind, the shadow of death will be removed, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So the Sabbath is supposed to anticipate heaven. It's supposed to anticipate that time when Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. So every Sabbath was a dress rehearsal for that coming reality. When we meet on a Sunday morning as the Christian church, you might ask, why do we meet on Sunday mornings? Well, it seems from church history that, and from the Bible that the church began to meet on Sunday mornings, early Sunday morning, in honor of the resurrection. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, so the church began to meet in honor of the resurrection on Sunday. But I'll tell you this, it really doesn't necessarily matter what day of the week that we meet on. What really matters is who we are in Jesus Christ. And in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people, the Sabbath had become a real weight on their shoulders. It had become so restricted that the Sabbath was not about refreshment, it was about restriction. You might want to write that down in your notes. The Sabbath came, became something about restriction rather than refreshment. And sadly, that has spilled into modern religion. So that people often have been raised in churches where you come on a Sunday morning and it's not about being refreshed. It's not about meeting God and being a little closer to him. It's about what you don't do on that day. So instead of about being refreshed in the Holy Spirit, when we gather as God's people, we find restrictions. Don't do this, don't do that. Now, some restrictions are obviously legitimate. But if the Sabbath or the Sunday time of worship for us becomes all about restriction, we have lost the meaning of our hope. And now we have imbibed man-made religion, which determines one's standing with God, not based upon grace, but based upon performance. The gospel of grace is about Jesus Christ doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. You're not saved by performance. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. Amen? But you are God's workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Being saved by grace doesn't mean you're not set apart for good works. It just means you know why you're saved, and now you do what you do out of gratitude. So grace is the root. Good works are the fruit you can't say good works are the root because if you do that, you've switched it and now your salvation is based upon performance and you can join the rest of the world religions that don't know whether or not they're gonna end up in paradise or heaven one day because they think it's based upon them and their performance. The gospel says you can't do it. You're worse off than you thought, but you're more loved than you ever could have dreamed. And every time you think of Shabbat or the Sabbath, think of seven, think of perfection, think of Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. In Colossians chapter two, if you hold your place in Mark, let me show you a key verse in relation to this because this was a big issue in the early church because the early church was Jewish. 
The people that got saved on the day of Pentecost were Jews from all these different lands, Acts chapter 2. Go to Colossians 2. And so the, the Jewish people were saying, well, if these Gentiles are going to be saved, they've got to now embrace the laws of Moses, which would include the Sabbath and the dietary laws and all the other 613 commandments and sub-commandments in the Bible, or especially in the Torah or the Old Testament. So Paul, in dealing with this, says these words, and this is Colossians 2, verse 13. Let's go back to verse 12 in light of Ryan's uh, baptism. Having been buried with him, Colossians 2.12, in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Together with him, having forgiven us, how many? All of our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law was a schoolmaster to what? Drive us to Christ. When he had disarmed, verse 15, the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him or through the cross. Therefore, in light of the reality of who you are in Christ, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or what's your Bible say? Or a Sabbath day, this is very important. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in many ways, when you think about Sabbath, Sabbath makes you look back and look forward. It's congruent or it kind of fits well with the Lord's Supper. When you come to the table of the Lord's Supper and you take the matzah and the grape juice, what you're doing is looking back and looking forward. You're to do this until he comes, but you're also looking back on his pierced body and his shed blood for your redemption. So in light of that, Paul says, now... Since it's fulfilled and those things were a shadow of what is to come, the substance is Christ. It's not the day. In fact, the Sabbath is the only commandment not repeated in the New Testament. By the way, this does not mean that the Ten Commandments don't still apply to you. Thou shalt not murder is still true. Don't put other gods before the God of the Bible is still true. Honor your father and mother is still true. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet, etc. But the substance or that which had to be done is fulfilled in Christ. He came because we fail to keep the law. One of the Ten Commandments is to keep Shabbat, Sabbath. So he came to fulfill the law. Are you with me? We often say, well, Jesus died because I've lied, or Jesus died because I've hated in my heart, or Jesus died because I've lusted. Yeah, that's true. But Jesus also died because we haven't kept the true essence of the Sabbath. And the true essence of the Sabbath is to put God first, and we don't always do that. So Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, including fulfilling the essence of the Sabbath. Everybody with me? So that law became a schoolmaster to drive me to the covenant, to return to the cross and remember that God did for me what I cannot do for myself. And so in so many stories that we have now encountered, back to Mark if you would, 
in the Gospels, there's a deeper picture. There's something deeper going on. In the time of Jesus, the uh, scribes and Pharisees had taken the Old Testament uh, things associated with the Sabbath, and they had added 39 different divisions of laws and things that people had to do on the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And it was so restricting to the people of God that the Sabbath became about a weight on people's shoulders. <gasps> Did I do something wrong? That's, that's what the mindset had become. Now, there were things that should definitely be honored. But if your religion is just about, <gasps> oh, I hope I didn't blow it. <gasps> oh, I hope I'm not in God, you know, out of God's good standing anymore. You've lost what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a relationship with a God who's already paid that price. It is finished, paid in full. That's who you are. Now, we don't always feel like that, of course, but we are a forgiven people. Would to God that we would act that way. Amen? And so here we got uh, Mark 2.23. It came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Now, it becomes obvious as you begin to study this text that Jesus was being trailed. What I mean is people were following him around, him and his disciples. You're about to see that they're going to pick the grain, and the, the religious leaders are just waiting to stomp on something that they do, quote-unquote, wrong in their eyes. I want to show you an uh, interesting context if you go to Matthew, there's a parallel account in Matthew and Luke. Go to Matthew uh, 11. Matthew 11. Let's look at verse 28. I'm going to show you some familiar words, but I'm going to show you the context in which they uh, land. This is verse 27 of Matthew 11. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden or my load is light. Now, no chapter breaks in the original scriptures keep reading. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields, and his disciples became hungry, there was a genuine need, and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Would you notice, Bible students, that the famous statement about come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, is set in a context of the story we're studying in Mark chapter 2. In other words, Matthew has recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these famous words right on the heels of the story that we're studying to uh, drive home the point that what Jesus' words were really getting after was a group of people so weighed down by Sabbath restrictions, their view of God had become so muddled and muddied that they couldn't even move on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said to those people, come to me. You see, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'll take the weight off of you. My yoke is what? Easy. My burden is light. Just news for you, Jesus does not want you to be weighed down by religion. He doesn't want it. 
Because the Jewish people, in many of the festivals and things that they were doing, they were doing them for religious purposes. And Jesus said, you confess me with your lips, but your hearts are what? Far from me. Jesus would rather have your heart than your religious activity if it's gone, if there's nothing really there. Now, what we do if it flows out of a a heart that's committed to the Lord, like get baptized or take the Lord's Supper or honor him on the day of worship, is a good thing. But the system, there is no true rest in the system. Psalm 37, 7 and 8 says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, cease from anger, forsake wrath, Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Psalm 37, 7 and 8. So Jesus and his disciples are passing through the grain fields, obviously being trailed by the uh, religious leaders. And they were doing something like this. They were taking the grain and they would rub the grain in their hands and they would separate the, the wheat from the what? Chaff. So it was a way to do it with your hands. And uh, this would be instant nutrition, and you could eat this, and it was a nutritious meal. And so, interestingly enough, the word holy in Hebrew means that which comes out of the threshing. It means to set up, be set apart, but the temple was built on a threshing floor. And so here's what's interesting about the word holy. When you separate the wheat from the chaff, you're becoming more holy, That's what God wants to do in your life. And I think there's a picture here as the religious leaders are following Jesus' disciples to catch them in something. There's an image here of if you want to be truly holy, get rid of the chaff in your life. Don't focus on all the don't do this, don't do that. Focus on what really matters. The Sabbath was to be a delight to the people of Israel. And so a rest does remain for you and for me. And the Pharisees, Mark 2.24, if you turn back there, Mark 2.24, were saying to him, so they uh, addressed the teacher, and uh, it was said in these days, if you had disciples as a teacher, you were responsible for your disciples. That worries me. (laughs) For obvious reasons. So if you have a living truth Sticker on your car, please walk wisely. Because, you know, sometimes I get the call. This person go to your church? Nope. Don't know them. No, they, they found another church. <laughs> or they're about to. Anyway. And the Pharisees, Mark 2.24, were saying to him, to Jesus, see here. Now, don't you love this? This is... The New American Standard, but here's how it's put. The Pharisees, they saw the, the, the grain thing going on, and they went, see here! Anybody grow up with something like that? See here, young man! See here! What do you think you're doing over there? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> see here now! Let me straighten you out on this Sabbath stuff. Well, you know what? There was a Sabbath restriction that said you could only be a certain amount of feet from your home on the Sabbath day. What were they doing out in the fields following Jesus and his disciples? Were they breaking the Sabbath? The rules and restrictions that they had added, so many rabbinic uh, rules or the rules of the rabbis were added that uh, I mentioned it became almost ridiculous. And they said, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, one thing you need to see as a student of the Bible is when they use the word lawful, they're talking about the law of Moses. 
And there are some commentators that believe that when they say this, they're making a formal charge of Sabbath breaking. In other words, they're making a charge, almost think about it as a citizen's arrest. That's not lawful. And they're asking Jesus to respond. Um, I think they're trying to set him up to break the Sabbath. Now, this is a key verse, Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25. Just write it down. Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25 says, when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any in your basket. So you know that, how many of you as a kid, you're walking along and a neighbor had like an apple tree and the, some of the branches were hanging over the wall or some were on the other side of the wall, but you thought it was still close enough and you helped yourself to some fruit, right? And then the guy had a shotgun. Hey, <laughs> see here. <laughs> That's when you do this as a kid. <laughs> right? Well, in the law, they said that it was acceptable for a poor person to eat from the ends of a person's field to satisfy hunger. The difference was if you picked grapes, you could eat until you were full, but you could not start putting stuff in your bag. So when you go to the buffet, you know, they say, all you can eat but here only, <laughs> and not for two hours, right? That's what we're talking about. You don't stuff biscuits in your bag. Anybody ever broken that rule? Anybody want to confess right now? <laughs> oh, that salt shaker would look really good in my house. And, and I've been attending this restaurant for years, and, and I think it's just fine. I... <laughs> Can I get a witness? Anyway. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, Deuteronomy 23, 25, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So if your neighbor's walking his field and he sees you, you know, with a sickle out there, like this is mine now, that's a problem. But if you're hungry on the Sabbath day, this would include the Sabbath, it would be acceptable not to starve and to help yourself. So here's the religious leaders and Jesus responds, Mark 2.25, he said to them, have you never read, now this is a slap against the religious leaders because when you say to an expert in the Bible, haven't you read this? That's, that's a pretty uh, hard criticism. Have you never read what David did when he was in need, keyword, and became hungry? He and his companions. Now Jesus references a story that's found in 1 Samuel 21. Just go ahead and write it down for your notes. 1 Samuel 21, and it moves into chapter 22. And what's happening in 1 Samuel 21, just to give you an overview of the story, is David is running from Saul. Saul is whacked out crazy, and he's trying to kill David. And David goes to the city of Nob, and there is a high priest named Ahimelech. Ahimelech is the father of Abiathar that's mentioned here. And if you read your study Bibles or read commentaries, there's uh, commentators that are perplexed as to this reference because Abiathar is alive at this time, but he's not apparently a priest. So there are some scholars that say, well, uh, the mention of uh, Abiathar here, uh, which is found in verse 26, I'm sorry, he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. Well, he really shows up in chapter 22, but let me just show you what happens. Ahimelech is the high priest, and there's a, there's a shrine or a, a, the tabernacle set up in the city of Nob, and there's like 85 priests there. 
And so what's happening is they're putting out the sacred bread, 12 loaves baked fresh every Sabbath to represent the 12 tribes. And they've got, a, they've got kind of the sanctuary set up there. David shows up and he's hungry. He's on the run from Saul. And he says, hey, do you have any bread here? And the priest says, no, we don't have anything except the sacred bread, which Leviticus says is only to be eaten by the priests. And that's after you lay it out. The table of showbread is what we're talking about. And so the priest basically says, but you can have it. And David says, okay. So David takes the sacred bread and feeds himself and his men with it. And in addition to that, Ahimelech gives him the sword of Goliath that was also there and says, here, take this sword too. After all, you cut his head off, so this will be fine. And so he takes the sword. So David is taken care of by Ahimelech. His son is Abiathar. So Saul finds out about it. And Saul's been running, chasing David and his men. Now think with me. The, the religious leaders have been chasing Jesus and his men, trying to find a reason to kill him. D- Jesus is the greater David. He's the son of David. David is a type of Jesus Saul is a type of the religious leaders and Pharisees. At this point in Saul's life, he's lost the Holy Spirit. He wants to kill David because he knows David is the rightful king. Jesus is what? The rightful king. In John 11, the religious leaders say, if he goes on like this after he raises Lazarus, we're going to lose our place and our nation. So just think with me for a second. So Saul and his army become a type of the religious leaders and their men trying to kill the greater David. That's their goal. So Jesus' purpose in telling this story has many layers. And I think that's why he mentions Abiathar, because Abiathar is the only one that survives what happens next. Saul calls Ahimelech, and he says, have you been helping my enemy David? And Ahimelech says, "Uh, well, yeah, but I've been helping him for a long time, and And he says, you're against me and all your people are against me. And all these priests are dressed in ephods. They're in their priestly garment. And Saul is so upset, he tells his army to kill 85 priests. And the the people of the army say, nope, not going to do it. So he turns to a man named Dog the Edomite. You can read this in 1 Samuel 21. And Dog does it. He kills, he slaughters 85 priests in front of Saul kills them all. And the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar, gets away with the ephod, and he becomes David's high priest, and that kind of starts in 1 Samuel 22, and then it's realized in 2 Samuel, I think you can check chapter 15. But I think what, the reason why Jesus makes this reference, and this is my personal take on the story, is because he's drawing a parallel. By the mention of Abiathar, Abiathar is the only one that survives Saul's terrible rage And there are scholars that believe the the reference to 1 Samuel 22 also may be because the scroll was set up that way. So just a little bit further. But I I think there's something deeper happening here. He entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar 26, Mark 2, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. Now, do you think every priest in Israel knew the story from 1 Samuel 21 and 22? Oh, yeah. They knew the story very, very well. They knew what happened there. They knew 85 priests died in that story. But never, I think, would any of them suspect that they were in the position of Saul. 
I want to park here for a second and tell you that when we talk about Pharisees, we talk about Pharisaical attitudes in the church, and we, and we are quick to caricature the Pharisees, but there were some good Pharisees. They were literally the separated ones in Israel. They were God-fearing people, and among them was Joseph of Arimathea. And Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. Philippians 3 says that. He says that a couple times in the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was sold out, he thought, to God, but he was on the wrong path. So as much as we want to broad brush the Pharisees, they were God-fearing, but they were afraid of what might happen to their nation. They'd already taken a bunch of hits with Rome being there and all that was going on. And so Jesus tells this story and he talks about the consecrated bread. I'll give you an example of something that could happen. Let's say that uh, you and I were here at the church one day and we had a very poor family come in and uh, let's say they had five kids and a mom and dad and you know, they, they coasted in here, no gas in their car and they haven't eaten in a couple of days. And let's say they asked us, um, do you have any food here? And we started looking around and we're like, no, Pastor John ate it all. So we got, is he, is he in here right now? <laughs> we got nothing left. However, let's say that we went to the special vault <laughs> and there we found matzah and Welch's grape juice. Let's say we had plenty of that, you know, boxes of crackers. And we looked at that family and said, well, we'd like to give you this. However, it's been set apart for communion only. Now, which is the greater law? Think about the law for a, sec a second. What's the essence of the law? To love God and love what? Your neighbor as yourself. If they're hungry, we're going to give them the matzah. We'll buy more. That's the, that's the essence of what's going on here. Jesus is saying, look, there's a higher law, and it's not all about your restrictions. And he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not, would you notice, Man for the Sabbath. Listen to this. In rabbinic Judaism, the Sabbath had become an end in itself. In fact, the belief became that Israel was created for the purpose of observing the Sabbath. So the rabbis basically said, the reason Israel exists is to honor the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, that's not why the Sabbath was created. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you understand the statement? He's saying the reason the Sabbath was made was so that you could rest and reflect and have refreshment and look forward and look back. It was not made as an end in and of itself. This parallels the idea of church going. Your goal as a Christian is not just to go to church. Your goal as a Christian is to know the living God and have this be a time where you worship him with the community in spirit and in truth and go out to a dying world and shine the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. If we make church an end in and of itself, then what we end up saying is the Christian church was created to go to church. What? No, the Christian church was created to go and make disciples of all nations. The church huddles on a Sunday morning or whatever day you come so that we might get filled up and go out into a parched world and be his hands and his feet in the world. This is precious. This is a foretaste of heaven. It's wonderful. But this is not an end in and of itself. And if you get to a point in your Christianity where the biggest thing you do on Sunday is critique everything you didn't like in a service, 
you in trouble. <laughs> you see, if we get into a pharisaical attitude, if worship becomes more about me than about God, if I didn't prepare my heart to come into this place and say, Lord, how can you make me more of a disciple to be more usable as a vessel for the master? We have lost it, you guys. And in the modern church, a lot of what we've done is we've created our own idols where we judge everything by attendance records and, and this and that instead of saying, what is that person doing out in the streets on Monday afternoon? Amen. Yeah. That was a... Kind of a weak applause, but I, I, I completely understand. Because this whole week, I've been preaching this to myself. You know, because as preachers, here's what we do. We gear up for Sunday, right? I told people we had a little uh, mixer last night. I told people for every hour I preach, I study about 20 hours in between golf, because many of you think that's all I do, right? No, I, for every hour I preach, I study for about 20 hours. And I teach four Bible studies a week. So that's 80 hours, so I never sleep. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but the ministry is a labor of study to deliver the word of God so that you may be equipped for what? Every good work. If we make this an end in and of itself, we're gonna stand before the Lord of the Sabbath one day. And he's going to say, is that what your Christianity was? You judged everything by your building and your sound system and how many people come. Look, we, we love the fact that people are coming, but that's not, that's not the essence of our Christianity. And then for this morning, even though I was going to go up to verse 6 of chapter 3, I won't. I'm going to end verse, with verse 28. And here's a consequently, the Son of Man, Jesus which is a messianic title from Daniel 7, is Lord, what? Even of the Sabbath. Now, if you call yourself Lord of something, everybody know what Lord means? Lord means master. So if you are Lord of something that God created, God created the Sabbath and made it, set it apart as holy. So if you claim that you're Lord of the Sabbath, then what does that make you? God. By Jesus saying, I'm Lord over this, he's saying, I made this. Therefore, I can define it. I'm not sure you can, Jesus. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. Rewind the tape. If he made it, does he get to define it? Amen. Yes. So if the religious leaders were challenged by what he was saying, that would have been the time to go do some soul searching and say, maybe, maybe I've missed the mark. And indeed, some Pharisees did get saved and did begin to look at their own lives, and they began to say, you know what, I think he has the real answers to life. And so this is what it's about. It's about entering into his rest. He is our true rest. He is our Sabbath. Do you know him? Have you experienced rest, or is your religion about restriction? Have you defined your Christianity by church attendance or by your time with the Lord and your relationship with him and, and how you impact other people's lives Monday through Saturday. That's where I think the Lord speaks to us and says, look, you have rest. Now go and give it away to other people. Have you looked out there? Have you looked into people's eyes lately? How do you think people are doing in the rest category? 
I'd say not so good. And Jesus says, in me, would you bow your hearts and heads with me? You will find rest for your souls. Lord, thank you so much. Jesus, you are our peace and you are our rest. And we're so grateful because the reason we have rest is because you loved us while we were yet sinners. You died for us that we might live. Forgive us, Lord, for defining our Christianity in such a narrow way that maybe we've missed the point. You were out on the highways and byways calling people under burdens, under religious burdens and burdens of their own sins. And and the religious leaders looked on and instead of seeing the truth for themselves, they they couldn't see past their own man-made structures. And for many, sadly, I believe it became their demise. In fact, we're going to see in the next chapter, Lord, that they decided to kill you because of what you did and what you said. And so, Lord, we come as a church right now. We come in humility because we know who we are. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We so often can do mechanical things and think we're being religious, but in the end, what you really want is our hearts. And you want obedience, obedience above sacrifice. And so, Lord, as we just take a little time to meditate on your word, whatever's been of me and and is not of value, let people quickly forget it. Whatever's been of your spirit, let it go deep down. Let it be the wheat for our souls. Let it be the rest of the spirit. Let us be at rest when we're at work and Even if we have stress, we can rest on another level. Stress is killing so so many of us, Lord. And sometimes when we pray, we don't even know if you love us anymore. We feel so confused and beat up by this world. And I pray that people will, these precious people will just enter into that rest. It's a decision that we must make. We realize we must turn back to you back to the covenant, the cross. So with your heart and head bowed, if you just need to do some business with God, if you need to say, Lord, forgive me for running around and not resting in you. Lord, forgive me for defining my Christianity the wrong way. Lord, cleanse me, wash me. I return to the foot of the cross where life is found in the cross and the resurrection. I trust you afresh. Pray it to him. I say, I believe. I believe in your death. If you're a skeptic or an unbeliever and the Lord's spoken to you, say, I believe, Lord. I I turn to you now. I want to know that true rest. I believe in your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. I believe you're real and true. Change me from the inside out. Just seek him right now. You can, you can pray it on your own. Just seek him. Seek his face. Say, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know the power of your resurrection and even the fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, I want to know you in deeper ways, not in surface ways. Help us all, Lord, to go deeper with you because your love is so incredible and so deep. May those living waters of the Holy Spirit wash over and fill this congregation. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen.